Okay, well, um, I have some questions. We'll just dive in. But again, the focus is empowering, training, equipping the next generation of leaders. It's been a lot happening here at IHOP the past few months. I mean, last week you had a conference. July was a real busy month. You had two weekends in July, and now we ended up with two weekends. In, what month is this? September. September. Two weekends in September. I literally forgot what month it was. Um, so anyway, but this, so this is, a, this is kind of riding that wave of just, I don't know if you've felt, because I've been watching mostly online, but I, I've felt the... You mean the, the, the July... Sur- July and the return and just all of it. So much is happening. So much has been said. Um, I feel like an, a major application point in this is now begin to give some practical wisdom to young leaders to walk out this prophetic narrative that we're in. And so that's kind of part of what we want to go after tonight. Um, so I have first question. And I don't know any of these questions. I, I, I what are you going to ask me? He goes, you'll find out when we get there. That's actually about how it happened, yeah. He asked me, he said, do you, do you have a, a plan for tonight? And I'm like, I, I've got it. It's right here. <laughs> so a, a few years ago, I guess it was 2019, we were in Fredericksburg, and we did a, a little. Which is your city. I live in Fredericksburg, Virginia, yep. And we were in a gathering of, I don't know, maybe about 20, 25 lead, movement leaders, younger leaders. And uh, you had a moment in that gathering where you talked about how to handle mistreatment. And uh, you shared a little bit of your journey. And uh, for me, that was one of the more powerful moments I've ever had with you. And I walked out of that room and I thought, I, I wish that every young leader could hear that. That test, not just the testimony, but the wisdom of how to handle mistreatment. So I'm wondering, I don't know if that's a difficult place to start, but... Be a little more specific, and then I'll... Well, I'm wondering if you could speak into how to respond to mistreatment that inevitably comes to leaders, especially leaders that are all leaders, but especially leaders that are following Jesus, that are 100% yes. I don't know if there's young leaders in the room, but you sign up, you're excited... You get in the game, one of the first things you encounter and you frequently encounter is mistreatment from others. Sometimes really substantial mistreatment or at times accusation. And sometimes there's seeds of truth in the accusations, but then it goes way further. And so my question is how to handle that, how to respond to it. And then secondly, what's God's purpose in it? Can you, can you speak to God's purpose? And if you, you want to jump sh- in too, Billy. Yeah. yeah, as you get going, I'll be happy to okay, jump in. Good. Well... My story on this began, actually, now I mentioned it jokingly, our little church, our little rural church in the St. Louis area called the Upper Room. It was 1976 when my first prophetic encounter, I didn't believe in prophecy at the time. I was anti-charismatic at the time, pastoring a charismatic church, which was a tricky little thing how that happened because I didn't know it was a charismatic church because they were not very good charismatics. They, they didn't seem like it to me for months. And I go, this is a charismatic church? Anyway, that's way off topic. And so I want to explain how it happened in the night, but it was dramatic. It was the first time ever. And the Lord had a, a prophetic person, a really established one, give me a word, and here's was the word. I'm 20 years old, maybe 21, something like that. And the, no, I'm 21 at the time. And the Lord says, the Lord is going to make you like David. I thought, that's cool. You know, I'm going to be like David. And he said, you're going to have many revelations and dreams. Well, I didn't believe in revelations and dreams. I go, well, that, that doesn't sound right. I didn't know about guys like Bob Jones and Paul Kane and a bunch of prophetic people that would come in my life about five or 10 years later. And so you know, many prophetic dreams, okay, whatever. He says, you're going to have many wars and many enemies will rise up against you, even like David did. And there's a lot of people that the Lord could say they're like David. So that, 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 that's not a unique thing. Thousands and thousands of ministries, the Lord would say that. But you're going to have many enemies and you're going to have many adversary, I mean, adversaries. And I thought, well, I don't have any dreams and visions and I have no enemies. And you're saying I'm going to have both of those. And he says, and the Lord says... Psalm 18, verse 35, King David wrote this. The Lord says, his gentleness will make you great. And you are to answer, you are to let the Lord answer for your adversaries. He will answer, you are not to answer. 
Again, I don't quite get what's going on in Psalm 13, 18, verse 35. His gentleness will make you great. The Lord will be gentle to you in your weakness and your stumbling and fumbling through the years. The Lord will be gracious. He'll be gentle to you and give you a chance over and over again to say yes. And therefore, the Lord, your greatness will come out of his mercy for you. But that's not exactly it. When he shows you his mercy, his gentleness, it's going to touch you. And then when you show your adversaries the gentleness that God showed you, that's where your greatness will be. Wow. I thought, what? And, but the Lord confirmed it in a strange way. I couldn't make sense of it. My first prophetic word ever. I'm going to have many dreams and visions. Well, I didn't know I'd be a part of a prophetic movement that would touch the ends of the earth. I didn't know I'd have many adversaries because I had none then. I thought, why would somebody be mad at me? Well, I mean, well, I'm not going to do nothing mean to them. Well, uh, so a year or two goes by, and then the next 40 years, so that was 45 years ago, the next 40-some years, there's many people rose up with accusations, incredible false claims, all of these things, and it's been like nonstop for 40 years. But the Lord told me on the front end, and the Lord said, don't answer, I will answer. So I took a posture that the Lord was going to do something, <clears throat> and he would intervene. And so I just believed it, because if you read the life of David, he would, when Saul was attacked by Saul and a number of other guys, he did not answer them. He let the Lord answer. David's answer was, let the Lord decide. I'm not going to touch you. I'm going to let the Lord decide. The Lord lets you off the hook, you're fine. If he doesn't, I'll live with it. And David's greatness was found in the way he was gentle towards his adversaries. That was a brand new idea to me. So I, uh, in, in the 80s, a number of ministries, uh, I ended up be, being written up in a number of books, not the entire book, but a, you know, a chapter or two in books that talk about false leaders in the body of Christ. I got a chapter two in a number of books, you know, and so... And when I read the stories, they were, they were significantly false. Mike Bickle claims this. No, I don't claim that. I don't believe any of that. And the Lord said, don't answer it. Just say, let the Lord decide. So I began in the 80s. I guess I'm in my 30s. Just working that, I'm in my early 30s, working that muscle over and over again and not answering. And that frustrated a lot of my friends. Like here, I'm in Kansas City. We came here 38 years ago, 39 years, actually it's 39 years ago, starting now. Uh, in October, but, uh, and a lot of my leaders at the church that I pastored, they were a little frustrated that I would not answer. I said, I'm not going to. The Lord told me not to. Every single time, two or three or four or five years later, the Lord answered. And every time I ended up with more friends and more favor by not answering. And after about three or four rounds of that, I went, this is a divine strategy. I never imagined that it would be this way because what, what happened, I didn't know this, the human dynamics. I understand them a little bit more so I can share them a little bit to you because uh, uh, it, it's the Bible's wise by telling you not to answer back but to bless your enemies. So I did, kind of did it by raw faith. But then after one or two rounds of it, I saw the increase of favor and friends and benefit. I thought, this is... Brilliant, Lord. Why don't you make everyone do it? He goes, well, it's in the Bible. Everyone is supposed to do it. He just went out of his way to wake me up to get my attention because I wouldn't have done it without that initial encounter. Then I had a couple more encounters where the Lord said, don't answer. Don't answer. I will answer. I will be your vindicator. But take time. Let it work. And you treating your enemies with gentleness, that's where your greatness will lie. And I thought... Wow, and I have been very gentle towards you, and that's why you have a chance to do great things in the kingdom. Because if I treated anybody according to what they, they deserve, I would have disqualified them all. I would have nobody making an impact in the kingdom. And when I began to see that, I went, this is a brilliant way to run a global empire by mercy. And it doesn't mean it, you just let everybody can do what they want to do, but when it was, they attacked me personally, I determined to bless them. And when I blessed them, and at first it, it was hard. It's still not super easy, but it's a lot easier than it was 40 years ago. That, you know, I found that when I blessed them, the first couple times it's like push-ups, spiritual push-ups. It's like, ugh, this doesn't. But eventually it starts changing your emotional chemistry. Then you see them a little bit like God sees them. 
and we see them like God sees them. Even some of these mean dudes in the kingdom, I mean, they're leaders in the kingdom, but some are pretty mean. Lord says, yeah, I mean, he didn't say this, but he could have said, yeah, they're a little bit mean, but I love them, and they're, they're important to me. They're my sons. Don't forget who they are to me. They're a little mean. I'm going to take care of it, but they are my beloved sons, and I want you to know to see what I see and feel what I feel when I look at them. I go, Lord. And he goes, but then you'll know how I look at you too. You'll gain revelation in my kingdom if you do these push-ups over and over. So my first round of, of guys who made outrageous statements about me that were just what I did, what I believed, what I said, and it's still all over the Internet. And, you know, in the 90s, it was not on the Internet, but since the Internet got going, so a lot of other guys that didn't like me decided to put the old charges on the Internet. And so we have interns and students. I regularly get parents going, do you really believe that your prophecies are equal to the Word of God? I go, no, I really don't. Well, the Internet says you believe that, that, that if somebody is not a part of your ministry, they can't be saved. I but mean, if it's it, on the Internet, it's got to be true. Yeah. <laughs> and I just go, no, nah, no, we're good, we're good. No, we don't believe that. And, well, why did they say it? No, nah, we're, we're not going there. We're just going to leave it like it is. And so what ended up happening as I began to pray that the Lord, the, the, the famous verse in, uh, if, I mean, the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Matthew 5, verse 44, it says, bless your enemies, do good to them. You know, speak blessing, do good for them, pray for them. It's like, <clears throat> wow. It's one thing to pray for them, which you choke the first few times, but then to bless them to other people. Well, you don't exaggerate, you don't tell lies, but you find the redemptive quality in their life and you just speak that. And you don't, you don't exaggerate. You don't tell lies. You don't say, that guy is so amazing. You say, that guy is seeking to win souls, and he's serving the Lord's purpose and other issues I'm not going to comment on. The Lord said, find out redemptive qualities and speak them. That was, praying was hard, but that was the easiest. Speaking blessing was like, uh, finding that redemptive quality. But it started changing my heart. And then their, their accusations didn't sting me near so much. It was amazing how... That response and grace protects your own soul. Then the worst one was do good to them. Like, give them money? Yeah, tell, <laughs> like, that, tell that story. Like, do good? <laughs> like, how about if I just ignore them and I don't do bad? Are we even? If I just don't do anything bad? No, I want you to do good for them. Help strengthen the things I've given them. Like, <laughs> uh, really? Yeah, I will liberate you if you do that. And I will protect you because you now I'm just adding some things. God didn't say it just this way, but I understand now. One of these days, you're going to be 60, 70, and 80, and there's going to be many more adversaries. And you're not going to, you're not going to be in a place in the body of Christ in a position where you're going to have time to work through all those stings all day long. You really got to be done with that by then because I need you focused when you're 60, 70, and 80, and so I'm going to have you doing these push-ups when you're 20, 30, and 40, or whatever the ages are. And I look back over it, and I go, Lord, because I still got a lot of people that say a lot of bad things, and I, I'm gonna wanna, I don't want to exaggerate this. Say, oh, it's amazing, but it just doesn't get on the inside of me. And I just go like, wow, this is like working. And the Lord's whisper is, that's because of my grace in your 20s, 30s, and 40s. I made you do push-ups. Wow. You didn't want to do them, but I made you. Look, who got benefited for these push-ups? Did their life, your adversary's life, get easier because you blessed them and did good for them? Not much easier. Look at your life. You're so much more protected. And I go, Lord, that was brilliant. That was brilliant. I never would have thought of that. But here's another thing I found out. Is that uh, when I, somebody would attack me, then others would answer, ask me. I would not, I would not say negative. Then... Because when I got attacked, the people that I'm associated with, they bore the stigma. Because if I'm their leader and I'm that bad, guess what? They're real bad too. And so an army of people rose up who they didn't like the stigma on me because it was on them too. So they started searching out the things that I believe and stood for. They became the voice to my adversaries and to my adversaries' friends. And I ended up when others spoke up, I ended up gaining so many more friends, so many more leaders said, had come to me and said, you know, we watched how you responded to your enemies in the 
80s and 90s. I'm reading the 90s, really, is when it started in an intense way. And, uh, you know, in the 2000s, we trust you because we saw how you responded. We want to be a part with you. And I went, I have so many more friends and opportunities by not doing nothing. Like, this is strange. And it's kingdom mathematics is what it is. And the Lord says, just, I know what I'm doing. This is the way forward. So I don't know if I answered the, hit it. I got a follow up. Yeah. So for and the, you develop it a little bit too. So for the 22 you got year a lot old. of enemies, so tell me, so you develop it too. <laughs> so for the 20, I'm one of those guys that by extension, you know, but for the 22 year old uh, leader, young leader, and he's in the gap between someone has just become an adversary and started saying stuff. He's in this gap of emotion and now he's got to start to bless them and do good to them. And he's in that internal turmoil. How does he get from the, man, I really don't feel good and I really want to say something bad to, I'm we going to, to make it a choice. We want to vindicate ourselves. Yeah. yeah so, but he, then he goes, I'm going to make a good choice. That pain, that pain that he's experiencing. Because I think people get lost in the pain. They get on social media. The next thing you know, they're saying something bad instead of something good. Yeah, I know one thing, again, human dynamics. You answer, today in the social media world, you chop off one head of accusation, it will grow 10 more heads back in its place. You say, da-da-da-da, 10 more people will rise up twisting your words, making that a lie, and then 10 more if you answer those. So the human dynamics, I understand it. I didn't back then, but I see, wow, it's really brilliant kingdom uh, wisdom. But what I would tell them is, King David, let's go back to David, because many of you are like David. You know, that's, the, that's why David's called the man after God's own heart. He's a picture for many young leaders, men and women, because as a young man, as a young leader, he was called a man after God's own heart. So millions of young leaders today, the Lord says, I'm making you like a David, a man or a woman after my own heart. But David had the king, the head of the army, King Saul, 3,000 soldiers, if you read 1 Samuel chapter like 17 to 31, just the second, you know, the, the, the second half of 1 Samuel, he has three, can you imagine for about seven or eight years, he's in his 20s, he has 3,000 government-sponsored militia seeking to kill him, 3,000 to one. And he's running around crying out, God, why are you writing Psalms? Then he has a few chances to kill Saul, and he won't do it. He says, Lord, I'm going to let you decide. And he could have taken Saul's life, and nobody could have stopped him on a couple occasions, but he wouldn't do it. And that happened to a number of other leaders later in his life. And he learned that way. And, and here's the, the lesson that I learned. I mean, I hope I learned it. I, mean, I think I learned it. <laughs> you never know to the next testing, you know. You always hope you learned it. But uh, I tell the young 20-year-olds, I go, nobody could stop David. Saul cannot stop David. 3,000 soldiers cannot stop David. Demons can't stop David. The only man that can stop David is David by choosing wrongly when he gets in, his advers uh, in the face of his adversaries. David's the only one that can cancel out David. None of the others can. And so I would tell the, the, the young leader, understand, if you're a, a leader and you're going forward to the kingdom, male or female, you, I promise you, I promise you, I promise you, I got 50 verses, maybe 40, Back it up. You will be withstood. You, but a million leaders are being withstood. So don't go, oh, poor me. If you've got anything going on in your leadership sphere, you will be withstood. And the Lord is bringing you, like David, through the, I called it the seminary of Saul. God says, I'm going to train you in the seminary of Saul to make you a man who sees my gentleness towards you, and then it makes you gentle towards others therein is your greatness. It's not the size of your impact. It's the size of your response to me. And if you can actually see that I am the one training you through an evil, jealous King Saul, I am training you. The devil's moving on Saul, but it's my seminary to make you a man, a king after my own heart. So I would tell the 22-year-old young leader, the, the, the young man, the young woman, if you take a step back, get the big picture. Number one, the Bible says it real clear, Get a few guys like myself and others that have walked in in a few years to tell you their story. It always works out for your good if you're patient and you hang in there. Two or three years, there's some ouchie and some people going, oh my God, I can't believe it. Every single time it gets answered. If you don't answer it, the Lord will answer it. So I would tell that leader, believe those passages 
work the muscles, call some old elder leaders that have walked in it to get your heart strengthened when you get weary. And know this, you will always have more friends and more favor on the back end of this than you had before. It just, every single time, it works that way. One of the um, uh, strange things is that I do lots of Zoom calls with lots of different movements and leaders and da-da-da-da and, and talk to a lot of guys outside of, our, of my particular stream. And the number one thing I get asked about isn't my favorite, the beauty of Jesus in the first commandment. That's what I want them to ask me about. They go, oh, no, we read your book, oh, or, 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 or maybe they didn't read it. We heard, blah, 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 blah. We like that. They don't ask me about end times, a little bit about end times. How do we treat people that are mean against? That's the number one issue I get asked by leaders in personal conversation. And I thought, 45 years ago when I first started, was my first pastor in the upper room anyway. uh, (laughs) I could have never have guessed that one of my main contributions to a generation 40 years later would be how not to be mad at mad people. (laughs) I thought, I don't want that role. But that is actually what I talk more about it's than anything. I, I remember when we first went to Atlanta to plant the house of prayer. 15 years ago. Yeah. So, so it was 17 years ago. Right before, it was before we went 24-7. And we had done a one thing conference in Atlanta. Wait, seven, you were here 17 years ago? Yeah. So, yes, 2003 and four. So we do a one thing conference. We draw 1,500 to the conference. It's a, you know, it's a big deal. We're getting the house of prayer going. Mike speaks. And after the conference, we're going to have a small group meeting with pastors. Do you remember this meeting? Oh, I do now. That you a say little bit, it. yeah. No, I do now. So we have a three and a half right. hour marathon after the conference. After meeting. the conference, and the leaders in the meeting are they're they're annoyed. They're annoyed with me for planning a house of prayer. And is it a church? Is it a house of prayer? What is it? Is he divisive? Is he a cult leader? Is he following my bad leadership? What, <laughs> what's the real deal? The leaders of Atlanta want to know. So they want to ask me about him. So I'm, I'm like, I'm going to get Mike in there. Mike is really going to stick up for me. He's going to do this really good. And, and Mike is... I did it really good, but it's the upside down kingdom. Exactly. No, Mike's <laughs> great in that environment. Answers biblically, answers clearly, super kind. Even, even when the leaders started getting a little attitude, just kept it really, really, you know, calm and kind. So the next day, I'm taking him to the airport. So we drive to the airport. We talk about end times for 40 minutes. It takes 45 minutes to get to the airport. I really want to ask him, what did you think about the meeting last night? We're pulling up to the curb at the airport. I go, wait, wait, wait. Don't get out of the car. I go, what did you think about that? Those guys, they're so bad and mean and blah, blah. And, I'm, and so I'm, I'm ready for Mike to just go, yeah, poor you. They're so bad. Those guys are demonized. You're, you're the anointed. And, and Mike goes, oh, that? I go, yeah, last night. That was rough. He goes, oh, that? He goes, you needed that. <laughs> I said, this is your salvation. Honestly, this is going to help you more than you know. I liked it last night. He goes, he, goes, he goes, let those guys kick the stuff out of you. You need meekness. This is so good for you. Bless you, bro. And he goes off. I go, your marriage will be better, your children will be better, your young disciples. This is fantastic. I loved it. I love you, bro. Yep. Hey, see you next see time. See ya. I'm, I'm, I'm standing there looking it's at true. him. He takes it off through true. the doors. It's, it's true. true. Takes off through the doors. I thought, that's the worst advice I've ever gotten in my entire life. And I will tell you, 17 years later, it's some of the best advice I've ever gotten in my entire life. Everything he just said is absolutely true. All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw a softball. But that, well, what an interesting question. I did not think you were going to ask that. But again, that's the number one thing I'm asked on Zoom calls with leaders is this issue. Well, we, when we were in that backroom meeting in 2019. At your place. At my place. You told the hour-long story, of especially the, the one main book that came out. And the, whole, and the way the Lord not only redeemed, the way the Lord brought about good was was significant, but the bigger thing for me was what happened in your heart, that your heart grew in love. And then uh, you said a statement that that was the actual main point of the whole thing, is that your heart would grow in love. Uh, And it's my safety today, not that I'm perfectly safe, I'm not claiming that, but I'm so much more safe in my 50s and 60s because I'm not new at it. And the Lord whispered back then, and he goes, I'm gonna give you kingdom assignments in those latter decades of your life you're not going to have the time to work through all of these 
He gets your feelings hurt and mope around for three days and you get four or five people to counsel with them and strategize how to do payback. You're not going to have room for that. Get, get your soul in a different place now. Yeah. I didn't know that in my 20s, 30s, 40s, but now looking back, it's clear. I think this is one of the most important lessons for leaders. So true. If we're dealing with leaders that are, st- especially if we're in the midst of a move of God, these things go up. I remember you said, and then we can move, I want to move to your question, but I remember you said there was a time where you were on the front page of every Christian magazine yeah, almost, negatively. Almost every Christian mag. I, maybe there is one or two I don't know about, yeah. but in the Western world, the controversy against us, it was against me and, and the yeah. prophetic, was on the front cover of every, almost every Christian magazine in the Western world. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was in South Africa, it was in New Zealand, Australia, it was in Hong Kong, it was in England, Wales, Germany, Kansas City prophets, true or false? Is Mike Bickle a cult leader? Is John Wimber deceived? I go, what in the world? <laughs> Some little dork like me, who cares? <laughs> And then you're traveling with Wimber. Well, that's they cared because they cared about Wimber. But you're doing the Q and A's with Wimber. Yeah. So John, oh yeah, I forgot. (laughs) So I'm traveling with Wimber for three years, and he would have five and seven thousand pastors at his conference. Wimber led the Vineyard Movement. Yeah, the Vineyard Movement. Yeah, big church planning. It still is the eighties and nineties. Yeah, it still is. Yeah, twenty five hundred churches in it. And so I would travel with him, and he would have five, six, seven thousand pastors at a conference. And we're on the front of page of many of these Christian magazines in, again, Europe, England, wherever the Western world, like wherever the British Empire was, you know, because it, it was coming out of Britain, a lot of it. And so then Wimber would always have me do a Q&A. So like maybe a thousand pastors, I don't know the real number, would show up for the afternoon Q&A. Every conference we did this for a season, and they could have an open question to ask me, what is the truth about all these allegations against me? So I had to do it over and over and over again. I learned the answer. Well, what did I you just, say? Well, I just did the push-ups. I would not give the negative. Then afterwards on the, in the foyer on the way back to the hotel, they'd go, hey, well, what really happened? Every single time. I got 10 of those or three or four of those, whatever the number is. And the Lord is saying, Mike, this is my mercy to you. This is not my, I'm not being mean to you. I'm delivering you. For when you're in your 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, you don't even know what I'm... This, I'm being nice to you right now. That's why I thought he was being nice to you. <laughs> and so it w- wasn't like, hold my breath, the Lord, and you know, make sure you don't say I've done bad. But the Lord was saying, no, I am delivering you. This is my kindness. I'm setting you up for success through this rigorous uh, seminary training. But everyone is going to go through this. I just had a bigger dose than some others did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, And I remember, well, this last point... One thing you said was not only did it, your heart grow in love, but then you told the testimonies of how the Lord turned things around. Yeah, when, when the Lord told you to launch IHOP, you had a global platform because of the controversy. That's exactly right. We had some millions of people who knew about us because we were on the cover of magazines because I was being accused. If I was never accused, we had, nobody would have even known that we were... I mean, it backfired against the guys that were mad at me. I mean... To put this in perspective, the Lord tells you to launch IHOP. In 99. Right? In 1999, there's a global uh, conversation about what's happening in Kansas City. So because a- of the negative and because of Wimber's anointing and leadership and because of the uniqueness of Paul Kane and Bob Jones as well. I mean, they had pretty strong prophetic ministries. So there was a big conversation with you know, several million people. Not that everybody was totally into it, but they were looking our way. So when IHOP got announced... There was a ton of folks who were already going, we're kind of paying attention. We're not necessarily for what you're doing, but we're listening. But without the controversy in the 90s, that the number would have been 10,000 people instead of several right, million. So millions of people were exposed to and engaged in the prayer movement because of the controversy. I think that's well, amazing. I got to tell one, one more story. It's, it's the one, I won't say names because I just don't like to say names, but some famous guy in the body of Christ wrote 60 books and a real kind of decision former. Like he would write in the major magazines and say, this guy was right, this guy was wrong, this guy was right, this guy was wrong. And, and he went to be with the Lord a few years ago. Anyway, he wants to meet with me, you know, and I'm like maybe 32, 33 years old at the time. He's maybe 60 or 70 or I don't know. You know, when you're 30, everybody seems 70 that's up there, you know. And so <laughs> I didn't know how old he was. 
<laughs> now that I'm up there, <laughs> I can say it. But anyway, <laughs> and this famous leader wants to meet with me. And he goes, hey, and I'm very nervous about it. A meeting with him because he writes articles and people take him very seriously. Probably one of the most respected names in the charismatic church in America at that time in the, in the 90s. He said, hey, I heard da-da-da-da. He goes, uh, what happened? And, and I'm nervous. I'm wanting to tell great things that are happening. I don't want to talk about the guys that are attacking me. I want to talk about great things that are happening. But he's taking charge of the conversation. I mean, he's, you know, a much stronger leader than I am. He's going, how about this? How about, well, no. And I give good answers, I mean, from the heavenly point of view. I won't give anything negative. And at the 20-minute mark, I was, my heart dropped. He goes, well, I got to go. I didn't have any opportunity to tell him the 10 great things happening to kind of win my storyline by great things without putting the, anybody down. He left. He goes, well, I got to go. And my heart dropped because I thought, oh, no. I, nothing happened. And this guy goes, hey. He's walking out of the door. He turns around. He goes, hey, uh, you're a uh, PR guy. You're a PR guy. Don't fire him. He's doing a good job for you. I said, my PR guy? Like, what are you talking about? Because I'm unsettled by this 20-minute conversation that's abruptly ended by this famous leader. I go, my PR guy? He goes, yeah. He pointed to the Lord. He goes, the Lord. He's your PR guy. He says, uh, uh, if you have integrity for lots of years, you get credibility. But you got to have integrity for lots of years. But if you have integrity under pressure and you answer right, you get credibility overnight. He goes, the Lord is setting you up to have credibility across the nations overnight. I go, what? He goes, oh, I get what's going on. He says, you couldn't pay a million dollars to get the advertisement you're going to get out of this that's good. And hundreds, that's exaggerated, but tens of top leaders in the body of Christ in America, 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, some probably, I don't know the number, 30, 40, 50, some number like that, came to me as a young man, guys in their 50s, 60s, and 70s, they said, we saw how you responded. We want to help you. And they just started coming one after the other. And I went, what on earth? How did this? And that guy said, he goes, you couldn't pay a million dollars to get the publicity you're getting. You couldn't organize it better than this. If you keep, he goes, I happen to know the men that are attacking you. I know them. And I know what spirit they have. And I know what's going on. And for you to answer this way, he goes, you're about to have credibility at a level far beyond what you're imagining is going to happen really soon. He goes, don't fire your PR guy. He's doing a great job for you. See you later. And I went, what was that about? I mean, so I went, what? And that's the story I told you in, yeah. back at your place. Yeah. And that, the thing was, he knew the Lord had restrained your mouth. Yeah, but I didn't know he knew any of that because yeah. he's really smart. He goes, I get everything that's going on. He goes, so you, you're going to have a good, you got a good future ahead of you, man. He so goes, stay, stay with it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pivot us. So um, you've, been, you've been referring to this decade as the Roaring Twenties. Yes. And you've been making some pretty strong statements about the next 10 years. It can be very yes. challenging on so many different levels. And if you're a young leader and you get, so you get to talk right to the young leaders and say, here are the three to five things you need to emphasize to prepare people to go through this next decade. You Excellent. could distill it yeah. and just lay into them. Good. Let's go. First of all, the Roaring Twenties was the 1920s, right? Everybody knows that was called the Roaring Twenties. So I'm playing off of that term. It's 100 years later that I'm saying the, the 2020s will be the most dramatic transitional decade in human history. N not in the last century, in human history. There will be more changes in the globe and in the human family, believers and unbelievers, institutions, national governments, finances, scores of areas, more dramatic transitional change will happen in this 10 years than any 10 years in human history. And then I think the 2030s will be more intense than the 2020s. And it's not just change for bad, change for bad for sure, but change for good as well. Change for good. So not just bad. So don't only hear change and think bad. We're in a time frame, and I think in America... What's happening is we're entering in a decade, and I'm using the word decade loose. You know, it's not like eight years versus 12. It's a chunk of years is really what I mean when I say a decade. That the Lord is graciously 
rescuing the body of Christ in America from a Laodicean spirit of dullness and compromise. There's, uh, it's all over the church in America. Not every believer. There's, I'm guessing, if I had to guess, which my guess doesn't really matter because I'm, I'm just making up the numbers just so you know. But if you make up the number and say it, you get away with it. Okay, so <laughs> I'm guessing there's two or three million on fire, red hot on fire believers in America. I have no way of knowing that. Two or three million. We need 20 or 30 million because the Lord's going to bring in 50 or 75 million in a third great awakening. And if he brings in, let's just call it 50 million, it's going to be more than that, in a great awakening, and they join the church now, they'll be lulled and seduced into a Laodicean spirit like the church is now. So the Lord is going to heal and rescue the church, have it on fire, not 10 or 20, two or three million on fire believers, but 10 or 20 million, whatever the number is, I don't know. And then he's going to bring in 50 million or whatever the number is, I don't know. Then they're going to be impacted by all over the nation, by, by believing uh, communities, I mean local churches, with a vibrant spirit with New Testament Christianity. So therefore the great awakening will take. And he says, no, I'm not bringing the 50 million now. Because right now, the atmosphere of the church, you will seduce them and lull them into spiritual dullness and darkness, and they won't even know what hit them because they don't know the Bible, and that's where the culture is. So the Lord is graciously healing, which is another word, I'd rather use another word, rescuing the body of Christ in our nation and the body of Christ in the earth. We are the darling of his heart. I mean, the whole body of Christ in the earth is the darling of his heart, but it's also true of our nation. He looks at the Laodicean spirit of dullness and, and uh, compromise and, and on the church in America. And he goes, but you're the darling of my heart. I love you. I'm not leaving you to your own. I'm coming after you. That's what he's doing right now. But here's the point. I'm here, I think we have a decade. And again, I'm that, use that, ten, that decade, 10-year margin loosely of detox. There, we're going to go through a detox season for about the next 10 years. Meaning it's not going to just suddenly get easy. We're, there's going to be conflicts and struggles. What is the apostolic gospel? What is the distorted grace message? Who's standing true? There's the congregations, large congregations are going to get small. Small congregations are going to get large and vice versa. All kinds of things. All kinds of shifts. Seismic shifts because there's a detox of the kingdom message, the, the apostolic biblical message for about the next 10 years. And that's going to have pain and hiccups and strife involved and areas of confusion. So we're in a very important, but not a real easy decade ahead of us in the spirit, but it's going to set the stage for, I believe, a great awakening that's going to bring people into mature Christianity. So what I would tell young leaders right now is get your mind off of how many people are applauding you. That's completely the wrong place to set your mind. Worst time of history to be dancing to the music of human applause because you're going to get way tanked on the left side or in a ditch somewhere. And you're not going to know what hits you because for the last 20 years, the body of Christ in America has been dancing to the music of human applause. And the apostolic gospel in the New Testament, the gospel of the kingdom, there's not much whisper of it. It's little here and there. Most of it is how you can get more money, more health, more friends, more favor, Less trouble, more comfort, all in the name of Jesus. And everyone goes, I'm in, baby, I'm in. That's not, that's not what the, the, gospels, the apostles preached. That wasn't their message. Yes, there are, there's economic increase at key times. Yes, there's divine healing. Yes, there's things in favor. But they were making decisions consciously that would make an impact on their eternal position before the Lord in the age to come. That's not even hardly whispered in the church. That's the gospel the New Testament was born in. So we're, if, if you, a 20-year-old tw- a, a or 30-year-old, whatever, you're looking at your social media applause, how many people are gathering in your building, how many people are going, wow, bro, this is so good. Is it because you're telling them what they want to hear or you're telling them what God's saying because we're in a detox decade right now? This isn't the time to be dancing to the wrong sound. It's a time to decide. I'm going to do this thing biblically. I'm going to get people ready with an eternal perspective, with the Sermon on the Mount lifestyle, with the, with the first commandment first. And if I lose crowds, so what? I'm going to be faithful to him. And I'm telling you, at the end of the day, crowds is not the point, but many more will be flocking to the real gospel. 
but we got a detox decade ahead of us. Everyone's going to get tested. Because if you got big buildings and you got payments and you got to keep people happy and you start doing the apostolic gospel and you haven't done that for 20 years, your crowds are going to go down and your money's going to get challenged. Your buildings are going to be in jeopardy. Things are, there's going to be hiccups because the Lord's going to really, he's not, the Lord's not going to do it. Uh, he's going to make you do it for real. Not because you're wanting to do something that works, but you're doing something that's right. And, and this is going to be a tough thing. So I'm encouraging young people, study the Bible and see what it says literally. The New Testament, preach a kingdom gospel, which you're literally like all the apostles. We're living for the age to come. Yes, making an impact. Yes, I want favor and I want health and finance, but that's not the number one issue that they were calling them to. They were calling them to the Sermon on the Mount lifestyle, to the first commandment with eternity in view. And they were building their ministries around that. And if you went to prison and got beat, they considered it Acts 5, verse 41. They were worthy to suffer for his name. And they all rejoiced. It's like, that's not the gospel we're building ministries on right now. And we can't get there in a year. But I think in the next decade, I would say, let's go there. Learn whatever you do. Learn you and your congregation, even if it shrinks before it grows. Learn how to talk to God. Learn how to get in conversation with God. Learn what God says, not what the popular ministries that everybody's applauding. Try to fast from that. Try to get detoxed out of that. It's that kind of stuff. Strong. That's good. But I don't think we're going to like it in the flesh. You don't think we're going to like it? Well, our spirit will go, yes, but... We're going to have hiccups all around us, too. It's not like because we say it, now we're immune to it. The Lord says, oh, so you believe that. Okay, let's go now. I heard you emphasizing the intoxication of human approval. Yes. We're in a social media Well, the last culture. 20 years has been, I mean, we have been like intoxicated. We've been drunk with human approval. I'm talking about mega ministries. Yes, yes. Looking at themselves, the big lights and the, and the flash and all the other little ministries looking with jealousy to be like them. It's like, nah, that's the wrong view. So a switch from an attractional gospel to an apostolic gospel. Oh, very good. Very good. Attractional meaning to just guarantee them that their life is going to be more comfortable in this age if they use the name of Jesus. Life will be easier and they'll have more stuff. Yeah. 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 I love it. Just to kind of dovetail on that, just for a moment, can you speak to how, as a young leader, to keep your heart vibrant in the midst of the pressures, external pressures, global pressures, but then just the pressures of ministry. Because I, having been in leadership now for a few decades, a couple couple decades, oh goodness, yes, close enough. Sure, that's about right. The pressure is intense. And, And it's easy actually for your heart to shut down in the midst of that pressure. And I'd love for you, because kind of dovetailing what Billy just asked, what would you say to a young leader about keeping their heart vibrant in the midst of the pressure? Two things, just right off the bat. I mean, you could say ten, but I'll do two just to be brief. Number one, open the Bible and talk to Jesus when you read the Bible. Don't just read the Bible for biblical information, which is good. Read the Bible to prepare a sermon, is good. Prepare a training session. Read the Bible to have a conversation. Read the written word to have a conversation with the living word. So begin to transition to reading the Bible in the mode of conversation. Like when I see a promise in the Bible, I, I don't do it all the time. I, I exaggerate if I said I do it all the time, but I do it a lot. When I see a promise like God will forgive you, God so loves the world. I mean, simple promises. I like to stop and say, thank you. Show me more. Pause for five or seven seconds. Talk to a person. Like one, my favorite verse, John fifteen nineteen. Jesus said, in the way the Father loves me, that's why I love you. I read that verse, I go, thank you, Father, for the way you love Jesus. Show me more. Thank you, Jesus, that you love me with that same intensity. Show me more. And you'll always add a few more phrases on, but it's a conversation. So when it's a promise, say, thank you, show me more. When it's a commandment, say, what I do, I just say, I set my heart to obey, help me more. Just that, that little phrase, I set my heart to obey, I'm resolved to obey. Help me more. And if I turn it into a conversation, many times it just stays at a 12-second conversation. Then I read the next verse. Many times it's a two- or three-minute conversation. 
And every now and then, it's a 20 or 30 minute conversation, not that often. And I read the Bible with a mode of conversation. That changes everything in your internal life with God. I would tell them, see the Bible as a gold mine of conversational material, not just as platform messages that will make people go, wow, that was so encouraging. Get your heart in conversation. And the second thing, and that would be, that would be the only two I'll say, build a team around you that is in unity with that. Don't just build a team of gifted people that can get the attention of some other people and kind of help your platform, your footprint. Build people in unity with that so that when you're talking about your problems or you're talking about your increases and breakthroughs, you're talking about it through this grid, not through the other grid. That's so good. So uh, I'm going to circle you back. You said you always get the question on dealing with mistreatment. But you'd love I would say always, but mostly. Regularly. Mostly. Yeah, yeah. But you'd love to answer a question about the first commandment or the beauty of Jesus. Yeah. So I'm going to throw John 17, 26 at you. Oh, come on, man. Yeah. <laughs> because so, so often young leaders teach current events, current topics, felt need kind of messages. And they, they, they do can be have helpful. their place. They do it have can their be, place. It can be super helpful. It just can't be the main diet and the only diet. So Jesus said in John 17, 26, I've declared to them your name. Father. Yeah. He's talking to the Father. And I will continue to declare it. Jesus is declaring the name of the Father Which to us. Which means the Father's personality. And his his nature, yeah. his character. And he says, I'm going to do that so that the love with which you've loved me may be in them and I in them. Do you have any insight on this passage and how young leaders can apply that into their ministries? Yeah, yeah, I mean, a little bit. (laughs) Well, I mean, I probably have a lot more insight from a brand new leader, but because of the angels of the platform, they're going, you think you understand that, Pee-wee? So I just say a little bit. (laughs) So there's so, that, that passage is so big, it's bigger than we can imagine. But Jesus is praying. He says, Father, I'm going to declare to them what you're like, your personality, your character, your plans, your leadership. And when I tell them what you're like, what's going to happen is you're going to impart the love you have for me inside of them. Could you imagine Jesus saying, Father, the intensity of which you love me, give it to those weak human beings. Jesus already prayed it. All you need when Jesus prays a prayer is a co-signature on the earth, and that's yours. I mean, he's already prayed it, and the Father says, yeah, I will. Now, they will take that prayer, make it their own. They will be the co-signature, because he needs two signatures on that one. He's already prayed it. I mean, that's the glory of the end-time church, entering into a supernatural love for the Son. It's the Father's love for the Son. Now, before you cancel yourself out, there are no such thing as super saints. Everybody in the body of Christ is weak like us. And I don't care if a guy doesn't show it. That's okay. He doesn't have to show it. Everyone is like you. Everyone has fears, prone to quit, prone to be negative, prone to go, uh, prone to boredom, prone to prone to prone. All humans are like that. So don't think that when Jesus prayed that, he had some, you know, disillusional idea of who he was praying for. Because he told those disciples that very night, every one of you will deny me tonight. But I know the Father is going to rescue my people, and the end time church is going to be rescued from a Laodicean spirit, and we are going to actually, in a some sense, love the Jesus. I mean, not fully in this age, but more than we do now in the way the Father loves him. That's the Holy Spirit's main agenda. That's why Jesus called the first commandment, I mean, love God with all your heart. He said, that's the first commandment. That's the number one agenda of the Holy Spirit on every ministry and every family is that Loving God with all their heart, strength, soul, mind, those things would be the number one priority. I tell young pastors, make that consciously the first priority of your ministry to train people to walk in that love. And and that will be odd because that's not the normal conversation. You may not even know what to say. Ask the Lord. I got to learn how to do this and say this because that's the first thing the Spirit is saying right now in this hour. So to me, I always hear young leaders asking, how do I get the young adults or the youth to fall in love with Jesus, to get fiery for Jesus. And Jesus literally said, 
I'm telling them about the nature of the Father so that their hearts will burn on fire in love. So declaring the knowledge of God is the pathway. The personality of God, yes. Yeah, to having a heart that's burning on, uh, in, in, on fire in love with, with for God. I, I wrote a book um, 30 years ago or so called Passion for Jesus. And so since then, people say, how do you get passion for Jesus? I get asked that a lot. I go, oh, real easy. Understand his passion for you. When you see his passion for you, it's not overnight. It, you're on that slow trajectory of being awakened in gratitude to passion for him. That's the key. See God's passion for you. I love King David, uh, again, uh, the man after God's own heart. That means several things to be a man after God's own heart. David was committed to obey the commands of God's heart. A lot of times, that's the definition. We leave it there. But David was a student of the emotions of God's heart. David was a student of God's emotions. Study what God's heart is like that will awaken your own heart. That's been the journey that I've been on over the years. And I'm not there. I haven't arrived, but I know I'm a lot further along than I was 30 years ago. And so study God's emotions. Awesome. John 17, 26. That's it, yes. Everyone, young leaders, memorize that verse. Uh, that, and pray it. It's and, your inheritance. And pray it. Get it into your daily prayer life. I know for years, when I discovered John 17, 26, I could not believe that Jesus asked for the Father, as he was declaring the Father to us, that the Father would cause us to love Jesus the way the Father loves Jesus. That's just like that's indescribable. It's an unbelievable. Because when you take how weak we are and the things we're prone to. Yeah, the love. It's guys like us. It's guys like us. Weak people. The way God feels about God. That's, there's no topic higher than, I mean, that, the way God loves God is the most glorious topic that's ever existed. And I think we're dealing with these young, young leaders, we're dealing with a generation where the most urgent need is the knowledge of who God is. That's the most urgent need. That the greatest crisis is not yeah. internet pornography or various justice issues, which are, are important that we're For dealing sure with are, in yeah. culture. Or whatever else, fill in the blank, COVID-19, whatever. The greatest crisis is the lack of the knowledge of the true nature of God. And I think that message needs to get into the vernacular, the prayer life, the Bible study, the small groups, what the social media platforms. Because if we declare what God, sorry, now I started. No. You you inspired me. If we start declaring God as he's revealed himself in Jesus, and if we start praying that, that's what, even this past, I felt for this gathering of leaders, I felt the Lord really highlighted that passage. So before when those you ladies said, this afternoon, they were carrying that big time. Yeah. And I'll just say, before you said that last night, I'd been meditating on John 17, 26 yesterday afternoon. So yeah. I, I sensed that for this gathering. As we were as well. praying for this gathering, I saw, and I know we're, we're charismatic, charismatic, so we always want a <laughs> baptism of the Holy Spirit. But I saw something, I felt like the Lord wanted to do something significant, something special in terms of that baptism of fire, because that's what that was. The fire of God is the love of God, the jealousy of God, the, the, the jealousy of a bridegroom, which is love. And I feel that this John seventeen twenty six thing is an important, well, the whole upper room discourse, but that culminating verse at the end of that prayer, so right before Jesus goes to the cross, the statement of that is one of the most profound statements, if not the most profound statement about our lives. I can't conceive of anything bigger than that. Yeah, it's the biggest statement about your life, that you're going to love Jesus the way the Father loves Jesus. I always think of it this way. So Jesus is about to be arrested. It's in, in an hour, an hour, hour and a half. He's about right. to be arrested. And just to say it in a real simple way, he goes, Abba, help them to love me back. I've loved them with my whole life. Help Very them good. to love me back. So tender. Yeah, I love it. Like I've said over the years that the most neglected subject in the kingdom of God is God. We teach leadership skills. We teach ministry skills. We teach relationship skills. We teach financial insights, which we have to. We've got to teach all those. But the most neglected subject in the kingdom of God is God himself. And when people think, like the knowledge of God, some will automatically go to his transcendence in terms of his awesome majesty that's terrifying and that is real but i want to push hard study the emotions of god not just how strong he is 
but how tender and deep his heart is towards you. Strong too. Let's do strong and wise. But don't leave it as strong as wise. Just he's almighty. Ah! Yes, we can't do that too much. But don't neglect the emotions of God. His graciousness, his tenderness. You know, it says in Exodus 33, verse 18, the Lord says, uh, Moses, he goes, I'm going to show you my glory. And he goes, Lord, show me your glory. And he goes, and the Lord says, I will. In Exodus 33, 18, a couple of verses later, in Exodus 34, the Lord came before Moses, and he goes, the Lord proclaims the Lord's name. Moses, I'm gracious. I'm tender. I'm abounding with goodness. I'm slow to be angry. That is my glory. He listed five of his emotional, five dimensions of his emotions when he revealed his glory to Moses. And often we skip the emotions of God. We've got to anchor ourselves in that as well. That's so good. So good. I think we did it. I mean, the meeting. I oh. think we're over, right? I think we are. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, well, that clock says we got 20 minutes, but we're not doing that. Well, we can pray over people. Yeah. I, I actually do feel like we should. I feel like we need to pray into this. Pray into oh, yeah, John I mean. seventeen twenty six. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Why don't Why don't we do that? Yeah. Um, can we? I feel like there's some that your heart is stirring. You just heard this. Let's stand if you want to. Amen. Let's stand. Yes, right. <laughs> no, I looked at you. I just knew that you knew that I knew that you knew. Let's. We're done. <laughs> I was never good at, at soft endings. I know. <laughs> Landing the plane is the hardest part. Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> But I, I, I actually felt, as you were talking, uh, just a quickening in my heart, as you were saying that. We need to pray into to the John 17, 26. Michael, you want to join us up here? You don't have to if he's doing something. Or just come join come us on up, up here. And tie you as well. <clears throat> Let's just wait on the Lord for a few moments. Man, I appreciate you being here, man. You were born what year? 76. 76. Wow. When I started the upper room. <laughs> Isn't that hilarious? <laughs> to me, that's cute. <laughs> no, yeah, it's just I, I, no one should name their church upper room. We, we, na- we named it Upper Room because the business owner that we were meeting in called it Upper Room. But no way. Pentecost Sunday comes every year. And if your church is named Upper Room, big things better happen on Pentecost Sunday. You know what I'm <laughs> saying? <point>. Or <laughs> it's false advertisement. It's false right? advertisement. So, Good point. Um, it's a pressure. Yeah, no pressure. You didn't really name it because it was the Upper Room. That's not. It was a, a, literally a second story oh, room. Oh, you're kidding. The guy that it was an actual literal upper room. The guy that let us pray. Wait, downtown the guy that invited us to start a prayer meeting, he called it an upper room. It overlooked downtown Dallas. I, so I love that. Logistically. I didn't 45 years ago. Wasn't that those, those rural guy, farmer guys that I started that church with? I said, what? What's that? I didn't even know what they were talking about. <laughs> uh, I just don't name your church upper room. <laughs> I, I am grateful, yeah. Let's encounter Jesus. Let's go for it. Hey, I'm going to grab two more microphones. Tyson, you got one too. We got two handheld ones there, right there. Hey, I'm so grateful for the stewardship God's given your spiritual family with worship. I mean, it's going all around the world. I mean, it's more than that, but the worship is really, that's the front runner of transformation in the body of Christ. Did we lose? Thank you. Well, we are the fruit of this family. We have uh, been drinking from this well a lot. And so I just want to thank you guys. Um, I, think, mm. I think the house of prayer, the conversation that you started, it's really a blank canvas for the church to explore what that expression looks like on a local level. And we've just taken tools and gleaned from you guys and just have a, a unique flow there. So thank you guys very much. Man. You know, the last thing that we get for, I think of this, I think of YWAM, I think of The Send. There's so many groups that we're all moving and Francis Chan, just a bunch. There's like 25 more ministries. The Lord is orchestrating this family conversation 
of partnership, collaboration, celebrating each other. And 20 other circles are doing the same thing with yeah. 20 or 50 ministries. It's happening all around the world. The Lord is putting his body together mm-hmm. in conversations. It's happening all over Asia, Europe, mm-hmm. Africa. The Father is doing something yes. unique in this hour. Yes. Wow. But I'm glad I'm doing it with you guys. We are too. Well, let's... Uh... Let's just put out our hands to the Lord if if you'd like to. And I just believe there's an impartation tonight. Can I I offer this uh, passage, Proverbs 2? So I'm glad we've got Mike with us because one of the formative messages for so many of us in the House of Prayer movement over the years was something he preached like 99, calling forth 10,000 prophetic messengers. That message marked so many of us from Proverbs 2. Yeah. So it's, if you cry out for discernment, lift up your voice for understanding. If you seek her as silver and search for her as hid, for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. And this conference is called Your Voice Matters. And what we need right now are not more voices of culture and, you know, human conscience. We need voices that will... Uh, speak the knowledge of God that will penetrate culture, that will penetrate consciences, that will, like a hammer and like a fire, release a word of the Lord that breaks stony hearts. And this is something that I think is on the whole prayer movement. It's not just native, just to the IHOP world. I think it's the messengers coming out of fiery places of prayer, declaring the word of the Lord. Bible verses with real anointing and unction on them. And I just know this is something that you've carried for so many years and inspired so many of us in. I feel like that's the call. That John 17, as Jesus declared the knowledge of God, that hearts would burn, and that same anointing would rest on young messengers even tonight. Yes. Let, let's sing to the Lord just for a few minutes, and then we'll do some ministry again. I want us to say things to Jesus right now, individually, all of the room. I get a worship song now. Yeah. 